Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 82, Financial Discussion. This episode is brought to you by our friends at True Victory. If you are not perfect, if you have ever struggled, if you have ever failed, if you have ever been the underdog, if you have ever doubted yourself or been doubted by others, if you want to get better, be better, and make our world better, this is the perfect brand for you. Founded by U.S. military veterans, True Victory is a sportswear and streetwear brand dedicated to building everyday champions on and off the field. True Victory is not simply a company, they're a cause. Its purpose is to transform lives and elevate humanity through the power and unity of sports, positive stories, and serving others. They are dedicated to the game, the grind, and the globe. But most importantly, they are dedicated to you. If you want to strive for something better, while proudly showing others your determination, grit, and supporting people like yourself, check out the True Victory Shop by simply clicking on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code PLAYER54 at checkout to receive 15% off your purchase. This past week has been fairly quiet. Minimal XFL news. But today, Pro Football Newsroom journalist James Larson joins the show to discuss the financial reports which have surfaced pertaining to the XFL. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On June 20th, the XFL announced teams have claimed rights to 44 undrafted rookies. For a list of the players claimed, visit XFL.com. On June 22nd, Seattle Sea Dragons offensive coordinator June Jones appeared on ESPN Honolulu's The Really Big Roadshow. According to Reddit user JawEasy, Jones shared he made contact with those in charge of fulfilling the Vegas Vipers head coaching vacancy and informed them he wants the job. Jones also shared he told Seattle Sea Dragons head coach Jim Hazlitt to hire former Washington State head coach Nick Rolovich and his assistant to replace him. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by pro football newsroom journalist James Larson to discuss the financial reports pertaining to the XFL. Welcome back, James. I appreciate you taking the time to return to the show, I believe for what is your fourth time, to discuss the financial reports which we have seen surface pertaining to the XFL. So thank you for coming back. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you. I saw you had some interactions and some posts and stuff, so we'll get right into it here. Seeing the long, unfortunate history of the alternative professional football leagues, people are interested in knowing whether the XFL had a good first season and if it has any chance of longevity. Therefore, I believe this is an important conversation to have. I know some people you know, like to go back and forth on things, but I think this is very important to dive in to the several reports that have surfaced, which have touched on various pieces of the XFL's financial puzzle. If we go back a ways, we had The Athletic, Forbes, Sportico, 
have each reported that the XFL's agreement with the Walt Disney Company is a paid rights deal. Between the three reports, the valuation has ranged between $20 million to $30 million per season. So back on June 14th, you retweeted a particular clip of the March End and Oran Sports Media Podcast during the segment that you shared, the New York Post, Andre Marchand, uh, denied Forbes reporting of a $20 million rights fee by saying no rights fee. So this piece of financial information has people believing this one report over other reports. Perhaps, maybe it's due to their own biases, but to be completely fair, we all have them. All right. I mean, as an individual, we all have our own thought process, our own likes, our own desires. Right. And uh, by that, we end up selecting teams, leagues to follow, whatever. Right. So let's get out there. We all have a heck. This is an XFL show. So that puts me in the XFL bias camp. I could see that. Right. I could understand that. So let's just have a genuine conversation if we can. When you made that post. Not only did you bring some information to light that probably most people weren't watching this podcast, but you drew the attention of co-owner Dwayne The Rock Johnson, which is a dream of anyone that covers these leagues to be recognized by the people or the big players, or in this case, a mega superstar that owns the league. But I'm just going to read his tweet really quick. I know I'm on a roll here, a rant, if you will. And I'm going to quote him. Not true. ESPN is a stakeholder in XFL, long-term partners, big plans for 24 season, back to work. So, getting back to the main point, the main question, in your opinion, how is it that this one person's report or statement has swayed people to believe that there is no rights deal when multiple notable outlets such as The Athletic I mentioned, Forbes, Sportico, as well as we even have XFL insider Mike Mitchell as his sources that he connected with the league. And even Dwayne The Rock Johnson is stating, not true. So is there or is there not based off what you're interpreting and why do you think people are believing one over the other? That's a big loaded question. I set the table big time for her. A massive discussion because you have a you have an article that you did. So I mean, by all means, here's your floor soapbox. Let's just get into it. So there's something really important to take in consideration here, and that's that the wording of Andrew Marchand was taken slightly out of context, which is partially my fault. When it comes to having a rights deal, obviously the XFL has a rights deal with ESPN and Disney. That was never in question. What was in question is, is it a paying rights deal? And is there a rights fee associated with the said deal? And that's what Andrew Marchand was disputing. Funny enough, they just posted another episode of that podcast today. And they they circled back to what all transpired last week. They doubled down their claims. You know, Andrew Marchand confirmed that according to his sources, there is no rights fee associated with this deal. Now, that doesn't mean that that ESPN isn't financially committed or isn't invested. It just means that the, that the rights fee there isn't, or excuse me, there isn't a rights fee associated with the deal. Something that John Orand kind of suggested, which would make sense. 
for one, we know that ESPN is covering the production costs for the seasons. And what Oren suggests is that could equate to around $20 million a year. And that's where that number kind of originated from. Now, that's not 100% confirmed, but that's what Orant has heard through his sources. And it would make a lot of sense because these two guys, obviously, they know their stuff. They're not just going to come out and spew something that makes zero sense without any merit to it. So, and again, you know, it's not like either one of them are really associated with Fox or the USFL, right? It's not like they would have a, a means over there to be like, oh, let's spread this story out to try to <laughs> throw something up at the XFL. So there's always two sides to every story. And I think that's, uh, you know, my article, I really tried to address both sides because no one was addressing Marchand or Oran's story. So that's why I wanted to bring light to that. Because personally, you know, in this field there, as you mentioned, there's a lot of bias. And I, I just feel like it's best to have all the facts, all the information out there, and people can make decisions on their own. If they want to think that it's $20 million a year, they can think that. They can believe what Forbes said. If they want to believe what Andrew said, they can do that too. I think it's just important to take all the information into consideration and, and come to your own conclusions. Ultimately, will we know the final answer, or at least sometime soon? No. I mean, I've, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this in the past. There's all sorts of NDAs and who knows what behind the scenes and semantics. So will we know an actual answer? Probably not. You know, maybe 20 years from now, say the XFL isn't around, maybe we will randomly find a report and actually get down to the bottom of this. And I'll have to join your show in 20 years. Until then, it, it's something that I, I think is a bit of a gray area. I'm glad you brought up the, the NDA because no one knows. But the fact that it hasn't came out directly from the XFL itself or from ESPN, it does lead me to believe that there is something there, right? Where they cannot just come out and say it. And for the XFL, that's not good. I think you'd want to get the information out there and be like, hey, we got to pay a deal. It's worth X amount of dollars. Boom, locked in, right? It's good for us, right? Good publicity. We got a big major partner. So it's not that the XFL probably wanted the NDA. It's ESPN because what are they in the business of doing? Securing rights for multiple leagues and stuff, right? And there's all sorts of things. We heard that the what the Slam League is back, the Slam Basketball League is is coming back, and the ESPN just signed with that for a two year deal. The reason why I'm kind of going down this road is, well, ESPN doesn't want to start tipping, you know, what they're paying other other startup leagues and other uh, alternative or kind of fringe niche sports leagues, because if that's the case, it's going to probably start to send their operating costs up as they keep going because everyone's going to use that as a starting point in negotiations. So I get it. I really do. So the rock choosing his words, you know, we can dissect it. Everyone's going, that's all we do, right? That's everyone in alternative football dissects every piece, every little piece of information we, we can find with what we do, trying to comb and get the crumbs to put together what may be the reality. So in this case, I know I get it when a lot of people start looking at oh, what well, he, it's interesting how he skirted around it or whatever. And I do think there's an NDA and I don't think he can say what he wants to say, but it's interesting how he did come out and say not true. In my, my viewpoint, seeing the athletic Forbes, Sportico, Mike Mitchell's 
got his contacts. The Rock comes out and says, not true, right? So it leads me to start to think, well, does Forbes have it right? Right? This is what steers me that way, right? I'm just going to share people with my mindset, like my thought process. Do I know anything? Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm not in that circle. So I can see that. It's just, it's unfortunate because there is information and people have different sources. And I always circle back to this when people are like, oh, per sources, per sources. That's how news gets out there, people. That's how not everyone goes on the record. Everyone shares what they know from whatever angle they have information. Adam Scheffner is deemed the guy in the National Football League for breaking. It's all he does is per sources until it's an announced deal. It's all per somebody he knows, right? We just have to value what news outlet and what sources they have. When you have conflicting, now that's where it gets interesting. I see too much on one side, so I tend to think, all right, well, is it $20 million a year? Is it a a rights fee? Is it like, so that's where I'm hanging my hat. Doesn't mean I know anything. Doesn't mean I'm right. So when you are dissecting it, I know I'm going to put you out here a little bit. Which one are you leaning towards? The more that you're reading, the more that you're seeing when they double down on it. Cause I did not catch the second one. So I can't really see how they worded on double down. So what do you think? What do you think is the reality or is it someplace in between? You know, I think that's, we actually touched on this in the last question a little bit. I think it could be a bit of, of a gray area. Uh, I'd like first to circle back to The Rock's answer, because to me, that told me a little bit about the situation, is that his response was very vague. And yes, there could be some NDAs in place behind the scenes, but he didn't address much of anything to what Andrew said. All he said was that ESPN was a stakeholder in the XFL. Duh, of course they're a stakeholder in the XFL. Like, that's basic knowledge to anyone who has any information around the situation at all. So it's not like he necessarily, you know, I saw some headlines about how he refuted Andrew Marchand and, you know, <laughs> took down his report or whatever. Not necessarily. I mean, he didn't really claim anything that disputed much of what Andrew was specifically saying about the rights fees themselves. And yes, as we previously mentioned, a rights deal and a rights fee are two different things. To answer your second question here, I think it's very interesting just to just to see that both sources are pretty well known in their respective industries, right? Andrew Marchand, John Oran, these are two guys that have been doing this for a long time, right? They have their sources, they have credible sources. At the same time, Sportico was, I believe, the first outlet to have the original story of when the XFL was sold to The Rock, right? They they were the one that broke the news. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure they were the ones who broke the news about the $15 million sale, which eventually led us to where we are today. So they obviously have their sources as well that have been credible throughout the last who knows how long. And I guess to circle back, to, I don't know if I've come up with an actual conclusion of which one I quote unquote believe. I think that there's truth to both sides. And I'm the type of person that I always like to analyze both sides. And to give a little example, I don't want to get political here. You turn on the news and you look at CNN. I mean, you flip the channel to Fox News and there are two completely different sides of the story, right? It's always one is CNN's agenda and the other is Fox News agenda. And usually the truth is somewhere in between. So the way I usually analyze things is by taking both those sources, doing some of my own research and then coming to a conclusion that I find to be logical. 
So to be quite honest with you, I'm still doing my research on this. I think it's a fascinating subject, and I think there's a lot that we're going to be finding out over the next year or two uh, as this journey continues. Yeah, I think that's probably, I don't want to say the safe answer to let you off the hook, you know, with listeners, but it's probably the most real answer to have, right? The most logical thing to come to. I know I'm hanging my hat, I said, because of multiple people reporting a various or one way similar. So, but it is fair because, you know, it's not like they just got it out of a fortune cookie. It's not like they got it out of a, a you know, a cereal box, some toy and some new little piece of information. So they got it from somewhere and some way that they trusted that they ran with it. So let's, right. it, it, they've either had somebody that has given them X amount of information in the past that has been credible been proven to be true. So if that's the case, let's just take it for what it's worth. I mean, I know which way I'm leaning, but doesn't mean, like I said, I know anything. So I think we'll have more information coming out. And it's supposedly a five-year deal. So we'll have to see what happens in year two and three. And maybe we'll get more information as that, you know, continues to progress. For sure. And I, and I think, you know, it's something to keep in mind as well is that Marchand and Orand, as I mentioned earlier, they don't wouldn't have much of a reason to make this up for you know for nothing, right? It wasn't a, it wouldn't have even been much of a story if I hadn't tweeted about it, to be honest. So I do feel like the truth lies somewhere in between. I really believe that if if you go and listen to their podcast from today, what John Orand says makes a lot of sense when it comes to the production and the overall cost of that could be around 20 like it would be logical for that to be around 20 million that's where that figure could have come from so i do think that that is certainly a very likely possibility but again with ndas and all of all of the gray circling this situation it's hard to fully tell to kind of stay in this financial discussion we'll go back to the forbes piece so forbes senior writer jabari young's piece on june 10th he shared that the xfl lost 60 million dollars so once again another piece of financial information here that people with varying views you know some of which believe it's a significant amount it's a significant hole that is going to likely be detrimental to the league's chances of having longevity whereas others believe such a figure for a startup league of this magnitude, at least, is actually a great starting point. Different camps again, different biases, whatever. I know you recently wrote a piece, and everyone's touching base on this, right? We got all different outlets out there, so you're no different. Would you share with the alternative football community fandom what you believe of this $60 million lost figure? Good, bad, ugly, indifferent. You know, I think if it's sixty million, and I believe I touched on this uh, a couple days ago with John Lewis of John Lewis Sports. If that sixty million dollar figure is accurate, they're in pretty good shape because running a football league at any level, especially the professional level, is extremely expensive. There's a reason why these leagues are so hard to get off the ground because football is an extremely expensive sport. Even if you're paying your players an average salary of sixty to seventy thousand dollars, which is give or take around what the XFL pays, you're still spending a ton of money. So sixty million blown through in the first season, 
I saw so many people running with that headline of, oh man, The Rock lost $60 million with the XFL in 2023. Just another failure in his portfolio. No, it's not. It's a startup. Every single startup in human history has had an investment to get underway, right? I mean, that's just basic common sense. So again, if it's $60 million, that's really not too big of a deal, especially when you consider who's behind it. Redbird Capital, obviously the the leaders of The Rock and Danny Garcia. Now, something I did touch in my article is that $60 million does seem quite conservative. And to note, the XFL never said $60 million. This was a purely a report from Forbes. And it's something that the XFL has stood by since Andrew Marchand's report came out, right? They've kind of stood by Jabbar, Young, and Forbes. But they haven't actually confirmed anything in that report. And some of the things that I've heard well before that Forbes report came out was that figure was a lot larger than $60 million, which would also make sense because as, as we've seen previously with these spring football leagues, they go through money very, very quickly. The Alliance of American Football needed $250 million after week one just to stay afloat. So again, if it's $60 million, I really don't see that as a poor thing. Now, something else to note about Jabari Young's report is that they're poised to make, according to what Jabari Young said, $100 million in revenue in season two. That's a sensational number. Now, again, that's not profit, that's revenue. But for spring football, if the estimations are accurate and if that really is the case, that's an encouraging sign. The XFL back in 2020, it got halfway through its season. I think it brought in around $19 million in in revenue that season, not profit, revenue. It was on pace for about $46 million. So year two, XFL, 3.0, $100 million sounds pretty dang good. So again, there's so much to take in consideration here. I also want people to know that whatever I share, any information that, that I'm sending out there is purely for the public to have a better understanding of what's going on, right? I mean, I'm about as pro XFL as it gets. I absolutely love this league. I love spring football. I'm all for supporting these leagues. And I also think that, you know, if the number is bigger than 60 million, that's also not an awful thing as long as they have the capital to fall back on, which they seem to have with Redbird Capital. It's just a matter of how long are they going to stay committed for. It's hard to really know. Anyone knows I ask questions. I usually put my two cents into the pot, right? After somebody shares their thoughts, because I, I think it's important. Right, because I just don't want to be somebody here just sitting there like, well, Mike never shares. Well, Mike always shares once it's out there. So when I look at this 60 million, if it's true, right? It's all we know at this point. It's it's a talking point number, at least, to start the discussion. I see no reason for concern. And I have a couple reasons why I think this. If you look back at 2020, Vince McMahon's XFL 2.0 reportedly lost approximately $200 million. That is a big sum of money for only five weeks of games played. I also look at, as you had alluded to, most startup businesses don't make money. You have a three-year operating plan. Typically, they lose money good amount of money in year one year two they're typically still losing the money but they seem to be correcting the issue or getting it under control at least in year three is where they make it a go they're hoping to see some profit 
right? And that's usually determining on whether they're going to be a successful company or not. So losing, if 60 million is true, I don't see that terrible because it'd be setting up the initial things you have to take care of, like insurances and licensing fees and securing all these venues, whether it's for stadiums and practices and hotels and arranging, whatever it is, there's an initial startup cost, right? Nothing's free before you even see $1 come in. So yeah, that stocks up, you know, piles up. But this is where I really start to hang my hat, right? And I think this is where I'm going to bring up something that has nothing to do with football. It has nothing, zero to do with football, people. So I know that, and it's not an apples to oranges comparison. It's just a business comparison. I look at Elon Musk and his purchase of Twitter. He spent more than $40 billion to purchase it. It is now reportedly worth 33% of his purchase price, and it's not a startup. Just think about that for a second. Business people make decisions and transactions. He knew he was going to overhaul a business and lose whatever money was coming in initially because he was going to overhaul that, right? I use Twitter because it's just such a focal and we know that more about how he came in and just shook that world up. And it's really a massive talking point among anybody that uses social media, right? Whether you like Elon, you don't. Whether you love Twitter, you don't. Whatever. So I use this. Twitter's not going to fail. He's not going to close up shop after a year or two. He's going to see it out, right? So I'm using this as a complete non-related thing. But business-wise, it could be. The year one is now was never the, the, the end goal. You needed to complete year one to have a year two. Same thing with Elon. He doesn't care if he's losing money now. He's overhauling, doing different things with it. Well, the XFL, same deal. We see an overhaul of staffing, right? There's all that information that came out like, well, heck, they're letting go a bunch of, well, a lot of that was seasonal contracts, six-month contracts. There were some key players, though, that decided that weren't carrying the weight weren't quite getting the job done the way they wanted to, and they needed they feel like they need new blood to move in that new direction. So again, some risky decisions there, right? You're one year in, you're making some changes in the marketing. Heck, we knew they only spent $120,000, right? That's what's reported out there. They spent on a marketing budget. That's ridiculous. If you did only lose $60 million, could you imagine if they actually put some money in actually marketing? Again, I'm just sharing these things because... It's it's my two cents. It shares my kind of thought process. Maybe I'm way off bringing Twitter into it and Elon Musk, but I just think look at how massive of a loss that is. It's going to take a while to recoup that evaluation. And no def- no different here for this is initial startup in my mind that wasn't a startup, but like, hey, am I off base here? Does it kind of make some sense? Yeah, no, you're making sense for sure. And something I think is important to note as well is that in the Forbes article, it says that uh, Jerry Cardinale, he's kind of the the mastermind behind Redbird Capital, right? And his goal is to have the XFL cash flow positive by 2027. So it's going to be a little while, guys. I mean, it's going to take some time. Just because the XFL would be in the red for a few years doesn't mean it's negative. You look at almost every single major company out there, and they likely were in the red for the first few years of their journey as well. So I don't think that aspect of things is as big of a deal as certain people make it out to be. Something to circle back to as well. Like you said, the 
the XFL 2.0 under Vince McMahon, losing a couple hundred million after five weeks. That's something that also I feel like makes a $60 million number seem a bit fishy. And, you know, by that, I mean, it just doesn't feel like the full truth. It doesn't feel like the full picture. And, and again, according to some of the things that I've heard over the past couple months is just not painting an accurate picture of what's going on. When it comes to the cash flow, you know, bringing in money, I think projected $100 million revenue in, in season two, that's a great step in the right direction. And it, it's something that they can certainly build upon in season three, season four, season five, you know, when they get to that point. I also think Jerry Cardinale said that, you know, his goal is to really, he sees the XFL as becoming the the fifth largest sports league in the United States, which is pretty remarkable. And it's something that is more possible than one would think. What it's going to take is capital, money, legitimate, committed investments, right? You know, we've seen what happens with these leagues in the past where someone like Tom Dundon comes along to the Alliance of American Football and promises hundreds of millions of dollars and is ready to to get the thing to to see success. And all of a sudden, week eight comes around and they shut it down. Why? Because they're impatient and they realize, well, you know what? This isn't worth the money. I can make my I can make more somewhere else. So that's where they go. Spring football. It is not one of those things where you can just one and done and make money like it takes time. The potential is there. You know, the investments have to be made. And it's just a matter of who's actually going to stick with it for the long run. You touched on the Vince spending or losing $200 million and now comparing the loss of $60 million, which makes it fishy, right? I don't know what's true. It might have been $180 million and it might be $80 million loss this way. Whatever. I'm just throwing numbers out, right? What do I think why the number is significantly lower? regardless of what the actual dollar amount is for 3.0. I think what Vince did in 2020 or in the lead up to 2020, whether we see it or not, I think it did set up 3.0 big time. I think it was easy to get back progressive insurance. Obviously ESPN was willing to go all in to get the complete exclusive rights in all digital space, right? That's where I'm like, there's a good possibility. There's a rights fee. I don't know, right? I, I'm leaning toward. I could see there's enough proven from 2020 where ESPN was willing to pony up a little bit. I could see where Progressive saw enough from 2020. They're like, yo, we're in, and we're willing to probably come in a little bit heavier. They got a Under Armour, which 2.0 did not have, to be apparel, not just jersey, but they saw you know all the polos and hoodies and stuff that all the teams are wearing on the sidelines. So under Armour came in and did something, right? There's something there. I think there's some shift in the money through, and I don't, I'm going to use a term here, and it may not be right, the shell companies. Like some people talk about these fictitious companies, but like I'm not saying Zoa is a shell company. I'm not saying Terramana Tequila's, but those dollar amounts could get shifted around wherever. Either way, it's the rock's loss. You know what I'm saying? Depending how they want to lose the money. But you can move money. Right. Between all these, Pedialyte was on board. I mean, they just, if you went to the games, Westgate resorts, all of these people were not involved, or at least it wasn't front and center in 2020 when I attended the games for the New York Guardians at MetLife Stadium. So I can see all these local breweries, each team, as far as I knew, had its own 
special beer, right? So, I mean, there, there's different partnerships that popped up that I did not see at all from 2.0. So, can I see where maybe the league before did a lot of the legwork, right? You know, initially 2.0 had to spend a lot of time and money in drafting this new, the rule book, right? Well, this time they didn't have it. They just had it, right? So, they didn't spend that money. So, I mean, there's ways to look at it like, okay, I expect it to be less. I just don't know how much less, right? We can split the hairs on it. It's 200 million, 170, 150, whatever that was spent. But I mean, who knows? But I mean, I could see where I'm not as shocked that the number would be lower. I just, you know, again, we don't know. We're just going off reports. So is the 60 million, right? I don't know. But I share that because I think it's also, I'm a very open-minded person, right? I try to look at things from various angles and I try to bring that type of, don't, even if I have somebody opposing view, bring them on, let them talk about whatever. But like-minded, it's great. So, I mean, could you see how that number could be significantly less? Could be. It's it, Again, we'll hang a little asterisk next to, could you see how this iteration could be significantly less than the previous? I think that if it's significantly less, I don't see the sponsorships playing a huge role in that. Strictly because, as you mentioned, Terramana and Zoa are obviously rock-owned properties. Something I touched on in my article, Progressive, seems like it was a carryover from 2020. It seems like they're, you know, they jumped back in, but some of that deal had to do with what was already in place in 2020. Uh, certain things seem to be owed by the XFL. So that's something to keep an eye on a story that's, that might be developing. I think what, what really sets the XFL apart this time around is their whole hub model, which they almost took a, a small play out of the USFL's playbook and really just expanded upon it to where, you know, you have everybody in Arlington, which means that the costs are much more controlled on that end of things, right? You're not paying for hotels and practice facilities and stadiums and all eight markets. You only have to travel to each market, you know, every so often. And then, of course, they're paying for the stadiums to play in on weekends. But it's a lot less than having to actually be and live and do and be proactive in all eight markets at the same time. That's where I feel like the major they wouldn't have done that if it wasn't actually going to save on costs. Right. So I feel like that's where some of the big progress could have been made in that category. I also think it's from 2020, they had team front office presidents. Like they had higher end staff for each team. And obviously 3.0 here did not do it that way. Yes, they had ticket personnel and they had PR people. Yes, there was some individual team staff. But looking at it, that's where they probably saved big time too. They're already paying for the charter flight, right? So they chartered these flights. Instead of putting one team on it, they put two teams on it. So that didn't cost any more by having everybody live in Arlington, Texas. And the fact that they put Arlington in front of Renegades instead of Dallas means they got a pretty sweetheart deal from the city of Arlington to be a hub, to have Choctaw Stadium, right? There's certain things that just came back perfect. So I can see where the savings could have come from in normal operating. But I agree by essentially taking the hub model that the USFL came up with, which I don't think it's just a cost-cutting measure. I think both did it, USFL first, because 
we weren't 100 percent out of the pandemic, right? How do you keep people in control and easier to not have in all different parts of the country if there's outbreaks, right? In increase of um, cases of COVID. So I think initially it was a cost cutting measure and it was a way to this is a way we could have a hub model like we saw the NBA and a bunch of other leagues do in the past with while still operating in a startup to save money, right? So the goal is to have a season two and three. So I think the XFL saw what the USFL was doing. And I think the USFL got a sweetheart deal from the city of Birmingham because the city ponied up some money, the county ponied up some money to help make that all become a reality. So I won't be surprised if Arlington helped pony up some of the expenses, right? Not just give them a sweetheart and help broker everything to come together. They may have helped make that happen. And that's a piece, like you said, as come on out in the future. Let's not be surprised if the city of Arlington or whoever's tied in, in the area maybe subsidize the XFL a tad bit. Not saying I know anything, but it's not a hard, that far of a leap to make when you see, saw how Birmingham actually came and stepped up for USFL in their first season. So I could see that happening. So when you take a bunch of different things, I can see how it just drops costs, drop costs, and therefore not lose as much money. And then we can come back and circle back. It all comes back to that ESPN deal. If ESPN did have a rights fee and they did pay 20 to 30 million, whatever per season, well, heck, that's something that, 2.0 did not have, right? So that would help drop their loss margin because it's more money coming in. So there's a million ways we can look at it. So I could see how it could be less. We just don't know how it actually got there. <laughs> right? This is it's a far-fetched. We could sit here and say woulda, coulda, shouldas, whatever. I mean, that's I mean, we, we could split hairs all the time. It's all we want until we actually get more information. But there's definitely more to learn. Because uh, what we get is a sliver, and we think we have an understanding of the league. But, you know, like you said, Jerry has been saying they're going to have to be cash flow positive. And I remember him saying in his interview at the Sportico Summit that he was at, he said, this is going to pay for itself. There's initial money we're going to put in, but this has to pay for itself. So, yeah, I, I can't imagine they're going to continue to lose money, and especially at large clips if that is what is happening but anyway any thoughts before i <laughs> i know i just threw a bunch of stuff out there you're welcome to dissect it if you like yeah no you're you're spot on i i believe that you know as with any business there's pros and cons to take into consideration and when you're in jerry cardinal's position where this is mostly coming out of your pocket i mean it hurts <laughs> i mean you know, I, sometimes I'm like, dang, I'm spending five bucks a gallon on gas. What is going on? You know, so I can only imagine what it's like for an investment firm that is, you know, spending billions of dollars in different investments and seeing which ones pay off and which ones don't. Um, I think it's very important that the XFL has the backing of Redbird Capital. Now, we can go down a whole tangent of investments and just some of the ideas that I think, you know, or, or things that would have to happen in order for the XFL to continue to succeed. Because as you said, the XFL, they're not going to want to keep taking these losses. And while it might go for maybe a year or two, obviously long term, that's never going to pan out. You know, I really feel like the goal would be within the next couple of years, you know, get through a couple more seasons, build up these teams in their markets and then get the teams appraised and find some outside investors, like some people who actually want to buy these teams and invest in these teams and 
we could think about all sorts of different names that could buy these teams, right? Now, I'm throwing out a random one right here just because it's one that could potentially make sense. Say the DC defenders are doing really well, right? You know, they're a good football team. They're fun to watch. The crowds continue to show up at Audi Field. You know, it's season two, season three. You know who could maybe invest in a team like that would be a guy like Kevin Durant, right? We've been seeing him making plenty of investments with boardroom and all the, all the investment firms that he's been working with. I mean, he's, he's making a ridiculous amount of money right now from everything he's invested in between, I, I think MLS and the pickleball and everything else that he's been investing in. So that again, I, this is just a random, <laughs> random, uh, example to bring up, but. That's the type of stuff that the XFL would love to see happen. And it's a matter of can they get there? Can they get to the point to where someone in their market or close to the market that would really want to build these teams and help continue building them from the ground up? Will they make those investments? And I think that's an important question to ask and something to really to really think about long term, because, you know, we can talk about Redbird all we want. But at the end of the day, they're an investment firm. They're only going to invest so much until it's not worth their investment anymore, right? They need some outside help at some point. When? It's hard to know. I'm not Jerry Cardinal. I'm not going to pretend like I am. So I don't really know. But at some point, the time, the clock is going to be ticking. And we'll just see when that is. I think you are 100% spot on with that. Because Jerry himself referred back to how he views the XFL in a similar way as early major league soccer. And when he keeps talking about evaluations, right. And eventually getting there, you don't talk about evaluations unless you're potentially thinking about selling individual teams. You're not just going to talk about evaluation of an entire league. You're going to be looking at the evaluations of teams in a particular market. We know how that works here in the United States, heck around the world, New York city teams tend to be, perhaps the most inflated Los Angeles teams seem to be pretty darn close right behind it. Right. But there's other markets that seem to be depending on what sport they're in pretty high. So is it possible? Well, I'm not, this is not a question, but I mean, is it possible? Right. It is. So, I mean, we're going to see what that is. And the fact that he used major league soccer tells me another thing. Major league soccer was not successful out of the gate people. Right. I know people will still look at soccer and have its own stigmas against it and just don't think that this it'll ever work in this country. Well, they're expanding into new markets all the time. They're bringing in heck, Messi just signed with Inter Miami, folks. Like it's not stopping. The investment into soccer in this country is blowing up because there's people interested, there's money to be had. And if somebody's willing to buy a team, and an expansion clip of however many millions of dollars. And we're not talking about five or six million. We're talking about like New York City, I think, sold at a hundred million back when New York City FC came in. Well, that keeps just pushing them. Now we got clubs that are worth potentially three, four hundred million dollars now. It seems absurd, right? Because we're not a soccer crazed country. Well, if that can happen for major league soccer after losing and folding franchises within its first eight to ten years. Well, Jerry says they're going to be cash flow positive by 2027 means that he sees losses is going to be similar, but he sees the return on that investment. But I do think it's going to come down to those people like Kevin Durant, LeBron, Patrick Mahomes that are investing in the sports. You know, they're becoming 
minority owners in all these teams, which means there's other groups constantly looking to buy. Well, I mean, that's probably where we're headed. I think it's probably where the XFL and the USFL are headed. I think that's the long-term play. If you can weather the storm for the time being and within a reasonable amount of loss, or in the case of the USFL, like they believe they turned a $7.5 million profit. At least that's what they reported after their first year, right? If you can kind of stay right in that, but eventually they got to get in the markets. That's the only way you're really going to be able to sell a team is if the team's playing in a market. So, I mean, like, again, it's just, they might not have their upfront cost that the XFL has put in upfront, but they're going to have to get there eventually too. And it's going to, it's going to hit them whenever it hits them. Right. But Doran for either of these leagues, whether it's, you know, and we'll focus on the XFL, it's going to come down to selling all franchises because Jerry and his, uh, his investors are going to want their return on their investment. That is not, a, you know, just a thought. That's a reality. That's why they're invest. That's why they're a capital firms. It's not a donation. They're looking to make money. They're rich. They want to get richer. It's just the way it is. The haves, has not. And they want more of it. So I you're absolutely agree. right. And I think it's something to to consider as well is seeing what they might do. Maybe not when it comes to expansion, but potential relocation. I mean, look at the Vegas Vipers. And actually, the Vipers were there pretty much because Jerry Cardinal wanted a team in Vegas. He wanted to take advantage of that gambling. You know, they had that whole deal with ESPN where, you know, throughout the games, the over-under was discussed a lot. And it's something that makes sense in today's day and age. You know, the sports gambling world is blowing up. And it's actually probably one of the main ways the league like this could survive, which would be if the sports gambling world continues to grow and to grow, people need more things to bet on. And that's kind of where spring football comes into play. But that's a whole other topic that we can talk about for hours on end, I'm sure. Uh, anyways, getting back to my original point here, you know, the Vegas Vipers are a team to keep an eye on. And I feel like, you know, it might depend on what happens if in one of these other cities they start talking to someone who'd be interested in, in having an XFL team there, right? Look at what the USFL ha- did uh, this past year where the FedEx owner, uh, Fred Smith, ended up bringing a team to Memphis. And does he actually own that team? No, but he was definitely financially involved in getting a team to Memphis. And that's why the Memphis showboats came back. I mean, if you looked at the, if you watch any of the Memphis games, you saw FedEx cares, FedEx, this FedEx, that all over the place, which made sense. I mean, it's just, it's, it's how this type of business works. So that's something to really just, just keep in mind moving forward. And I, I also know uh, Mike Mitchell over at XFL News Hub, you know, he had some interesting comments the other day about the league kind of reconsidering Vegas and Cashman Field and kind of seeing the whole disaster that that was in 2023. I mean, that, in my personal opinion, that was the worst thing that could have happened for the league in their first season just because it really made it feel, it, it had a Bush League feel, right? Across the board, production was great. You know, you watch the games from St. Louis, you watch the games from D.C., and they just had that pure XFL feel. And then you go to Cashman, and it's just like, man, what is this? And, like, the first couple of games were just such a mess with the field. And, like, you know, there was rain, and the announcers are up in scaffolding that looks like it was put up the day before. And, you know, you can hear the wind and the rain all on their mics. The cameras are getting rained on, and they're not getting cleaned. It was like, I don't know. It It just felt very, very unprofessional and amateur so i would love to see them either completely figure out how to how to redo their vegas situation or maybe potentially move on 
So the Vegas thing, obviously, is a black eye, right? I don't think there's anybody out there that thought it was a perfect situation as the season progressed, right? So, right, I, I've said my piece, and Mark Hallback, my contributor that was on all season long, he noticed time we just kept talking about how it just it was a bad look. You know, for whatever reason, they could not get to Allegiant. And then we can go on in the whole tangent here, but it only cost them $10,000 per game to lease Cashman Field. Again, another cheap, inexpensive thing on the ledger. Like that's, I can see how they saved money. And it's, it's not that they gained big money, but it's nowhere near what they paid for any of these other venues. Like some of these other venues are paying $100,000, $140,000, right? We had a look at, at least. Right. We had to look at what they were getting back from the dome in St. Louis because they had hit certain ticket things. So eventually they got rebates, which was saving them money, right? That, but when you look at where they were essentially at, they were spending significant money per game. Well, cash only cost you $10,000. I'm not saying to dress it up, it didn't cost them more, but it was so cheap that it essentially didn't matter, right? I'm just saying when you look at it, the crossover, even to be paying significantly more money to what you were going to have to sell for tickets to offset that, again, it is what it is. So I can see that. Well, right. I mean, looking at Vegas for her future use, something significantly would have to change. If you're going to stay put, you're going to have to dress it up a lot better than what you just did. You're going to have to invest some money into replacing the turf. And, you know, Natural grass. That's what it is. You can't paint it like we saw the pitchers with just spray paint and paint it green after it's been dead and then run whatever ran through the center of it with laying the tracks. Like you you can't, you can't have that. And I just, it's, I'm shocked because it's not just the XFL that did that. There's a professional soccer team that plays there that clearly played with those tracks all season long on their field. So between two professional teams, I can't see the playing surface looking the same way. Uh, a second year or, or another year because Vegas lights have actually been there for a few seasons now, but so, but it's still, they got to dress it up better. Like you said, the scaffolding and there's just so much more that just, just did not <laughs> look right. More, it, not even Bush league. I mean, I just, I, I, I don't know. Is that beer league? I mean, the Bush league beer league, is it all <laughs> the same? I mean, I, I'm a pro XFL show. I know that, but I keep it real. It just, it was a, such a black, guy, actually probably two black guys for the league. One stadium, two black guys. Right. And I, I, I love, you know, the honesty there. You know, just like I said earlier, of course, we want to see the XFL thrive and survive and, and move forward. But at the same time, you have to be realistic, right? You got to take everything into account. And just because you're pro XFL doesn't mean that you're just going to push everything under the rug that doesn't support your agenda. So I, I respect that. And I think we're on the same page there where, yeah, this league it has a lot of great things going for it. The product as we talked about so many times, it was really a fun product. That championship game at the Alamo Dome was, was really special. Um, but there's a lot to improve upon. And, it, and if they really want to get to the point that they want to be as a standalone professional spring football league, a league that attracts investors, that attracts millions of viewers to their games at some point, right? They need to make some improvements in these areas for people to, especially for the casual viewer, to really respect them long-term. Absolutely. Well, James, I think I ran over the time slot or time frame. I had 
promised that it would be. So um, we'll try to wrap this up here. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time to come back on the show to discuss and dissect the XFL's financial situation. We don't still don't know what's true. Still more to be done, but just to kind of take a look at the numbers that we have and try to have an understanding. And I mean, everyone views it differently. I get it, but I appreciate you diving into this with me and I know my listeners appreciate it as well. So thank you. Of course, Mike, thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking about this again soon and uh, hopefully in a positive light. Absolutely. Before you go, as always, why don't you inform our listeners where they could find your work and how they could follow you just to stay you know, in the loop? Because obviously I didn't catch this podcast that brought this to light. You're the one that brought it, so they need to follow you to catch this type of information. Where can they do so? So Twitter would be the main place to go, at James Larson PFN. Uh, that's where I share everything USFL and XFL related. Uh, I also write for the usflnewsroom.com and the xflnewsroom.com. So most of my work, whether you're interested in seeing XFL or USFL, will be over there. Perfect. Thank you, James. Thank you. Appreciate it, Mike. You're welcome. Several news outlets and writers have addressed these reports. Seeing James brought the Marchant and Oran Sports Media Podcast to everyone's attention and drew a response from XFL co-owner Dwayne The Rock Johnson It only seemed fitting to have this conversation with him. I have known James for a while and know him to be a fair-minded and information-driven individual. Therefore, I respect his insight and opinion. Seeing we have a lengthy offseason ahead of us, this is likely not the end of XFL financial reports. When more surface, we will cover them. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL-related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing. If you are interested in checking out our friends over at True Victory, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, PLAYER54, for 15% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.